Trainer's Trough, Episode 003, May 2nd, 2007. Hi there. You've downloaded the Trainer's Trough, the podcast for the nuclear training professional where the topic is heavy, but the treatment is light. Well, hello indeed. Uh, Welcome, whatever time of day or night that you're listening to the podcast. A greeting from myself, Gary Van Voris, the host of the Trainer's Trough podcast and the webmaster of the Trainer's Trough website, www.trainerstrough.com. As is usually the custom, I think, among most people who do podcasts, Um, wanted to encourage you to let us know that you're listening and give us any feedback you might have, uh, places where you think I stink or something that you thought was good or even just telling me that you're from a power plant somewhere and you're a nuclear trainer and you're listening. A 30-second email would do me a world of good to know that I'm getting out to somebody and, um, you know, whether or not the, uh, the interviews have any value for you. My address... Up at the at the website is Big Pig B I G P I G at trainerstrough dot com. That's Big Pig at trainerstrough one word dot com. Would truly would love to hear from you. Well, let's see. I take a look at what I've been doing, or more appropriately, not doing over the last few months. Uh, one of the things that I do to prepare for any one of these podcasts is I take a look. And I see, okay, let me run up what I did for Podcast 1 and Podcast 2 so I can have some sort of continuity, conformity, whatever. And I was distressed at myself to discover that um, the fact was that, that, boy, there hasn't been anything up for months. The Rebecca Mattern podcast was actually pretty small when I got down to hard editing it. And um, I've just been slack. I tried to put a couple of things together with some folks just wasn't pushing very hard. And so a few weeks ago, I said, okay, I have got to get back in the saddle. If I'm going to do this and make all this equipment worthwhile, I've got to get this hobby back in gear. What I have for you today is an interview with, I think, a really fascinating guy. He has a story in self-improvement and quality improvement. His name is Lenny Laskowski. I've got his picture, his name, and numerous pieces, parts in, in the show notes. Lenny is a guy who right now is operating as a successful professional speaker. Uh, His specialty is improving your speaking skills. He has been very successful as the author of a real-for-real published book as opposed to a vanity press publishing where somebody goes in, buys a thousand copies, and sells them from their basement and says, I'm a published author because, well, they're the publisher. Lenny was actually contracted with by an outfit called the Princeton Language Institute to be part of a series of improvement books. The book is is a self-help book, so self-disclosed, and it's actually published by Warner Books, so it's it's the real thing. It is um, apparently the most popular public speaking book on Amazon right now. It is called 10 Days to More Confident Public Speaking, Say Goodbye to Stage Fright Forever, and has a little star in the right-hand corner that says self-improvement in only minutes a day. It really is a 10 days, 10 different lessons to improving your, your vocal quality. 
the funny thing is that I used to work with Lenny. Lenny worked in the nuclear industry for a number of years. He's got a very varied background. As a technician, became an engineer, has patents to his name. He is a creative guy. He's a very hardworking guy, which is part of the reason that he's, he's so successful. But key to what we do is that at one time, Lenny disclosed that he was a stutterer and that one of the reasons he became very involved in, in public speaking and speaking in general was because he recognized how much that negatively influenced his life and he wanted to cure himself of stuttering. Now, if you have anybody in your family, as I do, who stutters or if you've ever looked into it, it is an extremely difficult condition or, or habit or syndrome to overcome. People who stutter usually have it as an embedded neurological thing, for want of a better term, real technical term there, huh? But it isn't something that you can just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm not going to stutter anymore. It, If you are a stutterer, that seems to happen, and there's all kinds of feedback techniques that have been used, all kinds of stuff. But it is an extremely difficult thing to overcome. And somehow, Lenny managed to overcome the stuttering and went on to get very involved in Toastmasters to improve his public speaking skills and then um, began doing sideline gigs and began to work assisting other people and eventually brought himself into the area where he became a professional speaking coach. He has done and continues to do many large-scale seminars regarding public speaking. He also kind of rents himself out as a keynote speaker. Um, he has a website. Uh, it is ljlseminars.com. That's Lima Juliet Lima Seminars.com. Again, if you Googled Lenny Leskowski or LJL Seminars, I'm sure that you'd find him there. Um, he talks about that in the interview. I taped the interview or recorded the interview electronically using Skype, Skype to Skype. So I, Lenny is a Skype user and I am, and I used my, uh, my Marantz recorder to, uh, to record it and edited it down. I think we're on the phone probably close to an hour. And uh, out of that, I edited the, I think it's about a 29-minute interview that, uh, that you're going to hear. He, um, I think he has a lot to say. He's, a, he's an interesting guy across the board. We had a rambling conversation. I tried to edit it down to make sure that your time would be well used. And I think you'll probably find Lenny to be a, a very interesting guy to listen to for about just, just about 30 minutes, a little bit shy of 30 minutes. So I don't really have anything more to say before I put Lenny on. I'll have a few closing remarks when I come off. I'm assuming that most people tune into this to get a little background about the person I'm going to interview and then get into it and hear what the uh, professional has to say. So that's what I'm going to do. This is Gary Van Voris and Lenny Leskowski. Lenny, good morning. How you doing, Gary? Great. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Trainer's Trough to be a guest. Uh, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So tell me, uh, I've already spoken to to our listeners and kind of gave a description of, of your many accomplishments. And um, so they, they have a sense of who Lenny Leskowski is via me. What's new? What's what's up for you? Well, you know, there's been a number of things. You know, the book is doing very well. My book, 10 Days, The More Confident Public Speaking, a couple months ago went into its sixth printing, which is very exciting because the book continues to do well. In fact, it's the number one best-selling book on Amazon for public speaking, which is great. Congratulations. 
that's fabulous achievement, right? I mean, this is most authors of books. I mean, I know if you write a novel, they they print a thousand copies or something. You're lucky if if <laughs> lucky if it gets into bookstores. Well, that, that's it exactly. In fact, they just recently got my my royalty check yesterday from the book, so it was at the forefront of my mind. So that reminds me how how the book is doing, and it's available in several forms, not just printed form, but it's also available as downloadable audio files from various websites, as well as I make it available on audio CD for people. And just six months ago, they finally made the book available as a downloadable ebook PDF format, which you can get through a variety of websites. And I know the ebook version is also doing very well. So it's available in a lot of forms, including my mem cards, which are flashcards. So that makes it convenient for people to learn the content from the book in a variety of different formats, whichever their preference is. All of us, we're all on a team. Anybody listening to this podcast is a practicing trainer. Um, we want to get better. Lenny's specialty is 10 days to, to uh, more confident public speaking. And uh, tools in the toolbox. Do you think about it at all? Any ideas for how people who are existing practitioners, professionals actually, can improve? I did. I did, in fact, think about that. In fact, one of the things that I always see, and a lot of times when I go to a meeting or a seminar, I have to turn my evaluating brain off sometimes so I don't get frustrated. The, the things I think about are, and I've asked myself, and people have asked me, you know, what's the characteristics of a great speaker? What are some of the characteristics? If you were to ask somebody, you know, what did you like about that speaker? What are some of those characteristics? And people just have to take a step back. And these are some of the things that, you know, as a trainer, they can do or consider when they're presenting, particularly if it's a material they're comfortable with and they're beyond the anxiety portion. There are some things they need to consider in the back of their mind while they're speaking so they come across more effectively. And one of the things is just start to be more conversational. We have a tendency as trainers, particularly technical trainers, to read from the slides and approach all our training as if it's a presentation. And we put ourselves in what I call presentation mode. And when we are in presentation mode, we tend to think of it as being a performance. And we get more wrapped up in thinking about the accuracy, the visual aids, and all the other logistics you deal with. And we forget to have a conversation with the audience. So one of the first things I always suggest to people is learn to be more conversational. Use your natural personality and have a conversation between you and the audience. That would be the first thing. I think that anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you, however many minutes you've put into it, you just got paid for listening to the podcast right there. That's that's a terrific comment. It, it's something that you know, when I deal with, I have clients that have extreme anxiety. That's one of the things that leads to that anxiety is we're because we're approaching it as performance, but we all naturally can have a conversation. You know, far being ignoring the us and the ums and stuff like that, which some of us naturally do. But we know how to have a conversation with people. And I have a some tips that I'll talk about, a checklist, per se, of things that I suggest and do at the end. And I actually have a link if you want to look at that on the website, which lists these if you're the type that likes to read them as well. Oh, for the visual learners, just let me stick this in. I'm going to put that in the show notes, folks. There'll be a direct link in the show notes for the podcast on the Trainer's Trough website. There'll be a direct link to what he just talked about. 
Yeah, so I, I, it's the title called Quick Tips You Can Use in Everyday Situation. That's kind of the focus of the premise of what we're talking about. And we can, so my intent was to give you some tips that you can use, but also some tips you can practice in everyday situation because we don't may not be one that's giving a presentation or a training session maybe about once a week or once a month, but you need to practice these things on a regular basis. Uh, I like the fact that you recognize I was thinking about this, and you just put it into voice, that technical trainers are often not speaking every single day. That you do some prep, and you get up, and you'll do a class, and and you may do a series of classes, and then you'll be in development, or you're just not on that day in a training cycle. Um, That's right. You're you're not constantly playing. It's not like a pianist who gets up every day and plays. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've done some 2,000 presentations since I had my business, and I still practice these things <laughs> so because you can get rusty at them hey you talked about your business you know i i'm forgetting the first rule of podcast interviewers uh that have uh it's been cast in stone what's that website where's where are you at my website is www.ljlseminars.com and for all you nuclear guys that's lima juliet lima <laughs> <laughs> That was bad, but go ahead. Yeah, seminars.com. And there's a section there on, it says, public speaking tips. So there's a whole variety of additional public speaking tips you know, available free of charge. There's an email newsletter that goes out with speaking tips. So there's a lot of other free content that will be provided much beyond what this podcast will provide. Nukes are cheap. We like that. So, so that, you know, that first thing is just approach it being conversational and be personable. People have to like you as an instructor, and if in the beginning, if they see it's going to be a lecture, we had enough of those in college, immediately they're going to turn them off. So you don't want to be in lecture mode. You definitely want to be in conversational mode. And to that end, that kind of leads to kind of the second thing that what makes good trainers, and they always ask, what makes professional speakers professional speakers? And they always say, do professional speakers always need to learn how to tell stories? And the typical response is, well, if they want to get paid, they do. What makes a speaker enjoyable to listen to is their ability to share examples and illustrate points through the use of personal stories. So many trainers, they don't tend to do this, I think, particularly in the technical world. So learn to include personal stories which relate to the story or the point you're trying to make and use that to illustrate an example. I think that's a big jump. Um, I don't want to generalize, but certainly after, what, two and a half decades, and you can back me up or not because you were in the nuclear industry for a while, we have a lot of those. I'm not, I'm not, I don't fall over for Myers-Briggs, but any of you that are familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality type inventory talks about these introverted type people, yeah. in any event, sort of shy and facts-only types that are not prone to do that, even in their everyday life. They don't tend to to tell stories oftentimes they're they're sort of factually oriented so it's it they really would have to work some to do that to understand the power of it and and try and develop it the way you develop muscles in the gym yeah you do and you need to pick the personal story that fits the particular audience working you're working with you might have a different type of audience you might be speaking to an audience that is very knowledgeable of your subject matter so you can use a different different personal story in that situation versus if you're giving the talk to a more general audience, you can suggest maybe a different personal story. Try to find one that's going to relate, be able to allow them to relate what they know to what you're trying to tell them. 
So you need to have a, as, as you put it, you know, a, a bag of tricks with that you can use to illustrate the point more effectively. You know, don't use jokes and stuff like that because that tends to just take too long and it doesn't work as effectively as a good story. So, they, so that's the, the second characteristic I would say. That's something that they can immediately start using. And we all have personal stories we could use. So we need to kind of look at situations. I might give example, and I'll later when I when I talk about tips, I'll give you some examples in real life that you can use to practice these things, and you'll see more of what I'm talking about. The other thing is just think positive. Use positive self-talk. You're going to go into the presentation thinking that you're going to do a great job. And we don't always do that. We don't say that enough to ourselves. You know, I know this content. I prepared it well. We're thinking more on what did I forget, what did I do this. And we tend to think more in the negative self-talk. So the positive self-talk goes a long way to just maintaining that confidence. If we have the confidence, just maintaining it at even a little bit higher level than we, we thought we might have. Boy, I want to I want to second that because I think one of the traps of especially factual, practical, often very successful people. If you get to work, I mean, in the nuclear business, people arrive at work often at very early hours. It's not unusual to have people who are in the office at six, six thirty, seven o'clock's almost late. So by the time they start training at say seven thirty in the morning, they may have been in the office for an hour and a half. That whole business of enthusiasm. That somebody's been in, they've read some emails, they, uh, they've got all kinds of, of information that they've been chewing through, and then they've got to go teach as they walk to the classroom or down to the simulator. You've got to wonder, are they really focused on, on being energetic and psyched, like you say, you know, going in with that positive self-talk, or is it just like a guy and no criticism of people who work – you know, in a machine shop, but like a guy that's walking up to his lathe and says, okay, you know, I got to make the donuts. It's time to machine a few more turbine fan blades. Uh, what we do is so much more interpersonal. That enthusiasm is really important. Yeah, and that's really part of the mental preparation. We need to get ourselves in the mode. And we, you know, forget the fact that if we go in and we don't do the physical preparation things, such as making sure the projectors work, and all the equipment is there, the lights are set up, the room is the way you set it up. If you're running late on those things, then your mind starts shifting into all, all those things and you don't give yourself the opportunity to prepare yourself mentally for your class and how you're going to start off. So it's very important that there is some mental exercise that you do to get prepared for that. And, and what I do, and I religiously still do this to the day, I'm a avid believer in checklists. So I make checklists... Because it's so easy to forget the simple things, particularly if we do it all the time. Checklists such as, you're going to go to a class, and what are the things you need to make sure that you brought with you? Assuming that you have to carry everything with you or bring everything to the classroom. I make a checklist of all the stuff I need to have available. Say I'm traveling from home. I may not be traveling from my office. I have to bring stuff from my office. I'll make a checklist of all the stuff I need to put in the box that I need to take with me. Then I have a second checklist, one to make sure it gets from my home, be it my kitchen table or dining room table, out to my car. Because many people have forgotten things that are sent on the dining room table. Lenny, you're such an engineer, but you're talking about such a powerful tool. <laughs> and how many times is oh, yeah, I got it out last night, but I left it on the kitchen counter. So I make a checklist that says I've actually got all the material together, and it's already packed. I know it's in the box. I don't have to keep checking it because I know it's, the checklist is checked off, and it physically has gone to my car. 
what that does for you in terms of getting ready in the morning, you're relaxed. You're not worried like a lot of people do. Did I remember this? Did I forget this? So on the way to driving there, you can start focusing on getting yourself mentally prepared because you've gone, you know you have that checklist of all the materials, the handouts, whatever you're going to take with you, and you're not worrying about it. I like to do that sometimes even a couple days beforehand. So the night before, I don't have to worry about it. I can relax a little bit and enjoy the night before and not sit up or sleep badly because I'm trying to worry about all the things I'm supposed to remember. You have uh, an infallible paper assistant, right, that never lies. If it's checked off on the checklist, you know it's there. It's, I know it's there. And you customize it to what you, you might need. Sometimes I'm not going to be taking all the things, but I have a pretty extensive checklist that I have that I use all the time. And I make that available in my seminars and workshops. I provide that as an example in the workshops that people can use as a guide and tailor to what they, they find is helpful. There you go, folks. There's a, there's a powerful tool in the toolbox, little customized checklist that you can pre-print. And uh, at, when it's checked off, your mind is at rest. And boy, that's a powerful thing, right? Your mind, your mind won't be at rest if, it, if, if subconsciously it's concerned that you haven't done something. Even if you're not aware of it, it's going to churn, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's little things like making sure you brought the handout or, or brought this stuff. Because even if you get the little thing, it just totally derails your presentation. It's, yeah, you know, you, you're into that um, damage control mode instead of being creative and enthusiastic yeah, mode. Exactly. And in part of the preparation, and one of the things that I always do is learn to figure out what are you going to do in the event that something does go wrong. Now, things will go wrong with every presentation. And what professional speakers learn to do is how to recover from them. In fact, there's a good colleague of mine. She just recently passed away, a woman by the name of Dottie Walter. She wrote a book called What Do You Say?, and her daughter wrote a book, actually, Lily Walters, wrote a book called What Do You Say When You're Dying on the Platform? And it's a series of quotes or humorous things that professional speakers have said when things go wrong in the presentation. Uh, for example, you know, we sometimes still use overhead projectors, as archaic as that might seem to some people, but it's still the training horse of a lot of the training. You know, you go to turn on that projector and the light bulb is burnt out. You know, you've already checked them. You know, so what do you do when that happens? It could be pretty embarrassing. Some might get flustered, and you know, so part of the preparation on the checklist might be is to have a spare bulb there, right. know how to change it. But what do you say in the meantime when that happens? Because that's not something you're going to be able to do instantaneously. Here's an example of a quote from the book. You, know, you, you go to turn the projector on, it doesn't go on. Obviously, people can see the, the light doesn't go on. So what do you say so you don't look stupid? The phrase that they use as an example is, you know, I don't understand it. I, I let that projector on all night long to make sure that thing would work for today. <laughs> so it's just a comical quote you throw out, but it makes levity about a situation which everybody can relate to. It just adds some calming effect to that. And you've got to be able to kind of go with the flow. And people see that you're human. They don't want to see that you're a machine trying to be perfect. And that's the other thing is people sometimes want to be too perfect in their presentations. And... You're not. Things are going to go wrong, sometimes not within your control. And if you can learn to not let those derail those, that helps you. So what do you do in a case, say the bulb does go out and you don't have a spare bulb, what is plan B? So I always, I'm a big advocate of having plan Bs, plan Cs, sometimes plan Ds. You know, can you deliver that presentation from your handout? Let me interject something here. For those of you that are nuclear trainers now, most of us are living with the Proxima, you know, trademark, copyright, brand name, but the in-ceiling LCD projectors, 
and you're laughing at this uh, overhead projector thing. But if you stop and think for a minute, we all are in a position that if that light eventually goes, that ceiling-mounted projector, in an old days of an, of an overhead projector, you could pretty quickly, within a five-minute, take a break, use the bathroom, go have a smoke, whatever. You could replace that bulb in the overhead projector if you had one. Right. We are absolutely messed if the LCD bulb goes because it takes a maintenance guy with a ladder and a $500 bulb to get up there in 20 minutes to fix it. If that bulb goes for your overhead projector, you've had the schnitzel. You've got to have plan B. And the other thing is if you're connected to the network, if you're using a presentation that you stored on your network, what happens when you boot up the computer in the morning and the network is down? You know, which I've known from experience that's happened. So have you provided yourself a copy of that presentation either on your hard drive or on a jump drive that you can use in the event that it happens? And I know that's happened. Talk about embarrassing moments, unbelievably embarrassing moments about networks. During our instructional excellence workshop, when I, as the supposed pro, was teaching a small breakout session with another guy, I could not get the computer to boot up. And I had been in the day before. I had checked it. I had the LCD screen was up. I knew everything. Something had happened during the night with IT. And basically, we, because we were relying on the network, could not get the computer up and running and logged onto the network. And and I was horrendously embarrassed in front of my peers as the guy who's supposed to be the trainer's trainer. Sure. Couldn't get it done. Yeah, so in that situation, you've got to be able to present that during the time frame that they've allotted because everybody showed up. And can you do that from your handout? Do you have a handout for yourself that you can use? Well, that's a good point. You get yeah, the, the, the deal right where you make, you say there's going to be eight people in class, you make 10 or even 12 handouts, and you figure I've got four extra and 15 people show up. Or, or the deal is that the 10 people show up and you made 8 plus 2, and like you said, you forget you don't have one. Right. So I always make one for myself, and I write my name on it, and so I can't, I don't inadvertently give that out to somebody else. Ooh. Hey, folks, there's your next tip. Save one for you. Put your name on it. So even if two other people in the audience have to share, at least you've got one as the leader. Keep one available. Keep it as a master and stuff like that. I sometimes will email myself one so I can download it if I have to, if I'm on the road traveling somewhere. That's that's brilliant. I have it sent somewhere I can, so I can download it. A lot of times in my workshops, I make a I provide a link to the folks for those that were not able to get a copy of the handout. Because sometimes you know, I'm expecting three, 400 people in a session, and there might be 500 because the registration was overwhelming. In fact, I'm doing a program next week down in New Orleans. They don't really know how many people are going to be in the session. It could be 100, could be 300. What I also do is the hand that I provide for myself as well as for the people is not just a copy of the slides. And one of the things I think that people can improve on, we have a tendency to just take the PowerPoint, print three slides per slide page or six per page, and we consider that the handout. You know, so I, I would sometimes take the time to make a custom handout for them that makes the learning process more enjoyable. Because sometimes you do the three per page, and whether it's three or, or six per page, the size of the text on the slide gets very small. Sometimes you can't read it. So I sometimes will make a customized handout just for them to follow along with. The workbooks on my seminars are that format, and they're not just a printout of the PowerPoint slides. Although that is convenient, I, I sometimes go that little extra for folks to do, and I think they appreciate it. Which then leads me to kind of the next point, is sometimes our slides have too much information. Being technical people, being technical engineers, we want to share the world with everybody. 
And sometimes we also don't want to forget to say something, so we put all our notes on the PowerPoint slides, and their slides are supposed to be just guides for us to present, and not supposed to be all our notes. So we tend to be too heavy on the text and the details on one given slide. One slide might be the equivalent of what I would now make as four slides. That kind of tells you that sometimes we're also a little bit ambitious, I'll say in quotes, as far as how much time it's going to take us to cover a certain amount of material, right? Yeah, exactly. I work with a client where they... I was actually hired to review 100 10-minute presentations, 100 engineers, so 100 10-minute presentations. And their senior director told each of them they had a limit of no more than 10 slides for their presentation. They gave them a guideline of 10 slides. Well, you know, everybody, geez, not surprisingly, had exactly 10 slides for all of their presentations. Not four, not five, not ten. You know, they had exactly just 10 slides. Some of them, with the amount of information they put on the slides, if they follow the correct rule, they probably filled up enough material for 20 or 30 slides. I was going to say, actually, everybody had 15 or 20, and then they looked and said, oh, damn, the boss said I can't have more than 10. So then they started cramming, right? Yeah, so they reduced the font size so it fits. <laughs> it's like in college where you had to write that term paper. and Jesus, it's two pages too short. So you increase the font size a little bit, so it goes out a little, spilling out. Yeah, right, yeah, especially with computers. It was harder to do in the days of fixed typewriters, but with computers, it's just a click of the mouse. Easier to do. So in presentation, people tend to put too much information. Like, they might have two or three graphs on a slide, but one at a time. Even though they might be built slides, they put too much information on it. And who cares if you've got 60 slides that you're going to work from? Separate it so it makes it easier for people. And that's where I don't think a lot of the... People that do technical take the time to do that because it takes more time to do that. You're creating more slides. It takes more effort. They just want to cram everything on one place. And as the presenter and the expert, subject matter expert, you're intimately familiar with the graph or the slide. And although it seems obvious to you as a presenter what it is, it won't be so obvious to the person sitting in the class because they're not familiar with the data or nonetheless the graph. And they might even be overwhelmed by too much data. So keep it simple and build slides and just, just make it easier, and particularly with text. You know, if you're, I like to use the general 6 by 6 rule, no more than 6 words on a line and no more than 6 lines per page if you're using text. Because you want to be conversational, and that's how we get ourselves away from being conversational, the first tip I talked about. The more we put on our visual aid, the more we're going to tend to read it, and the more we tend to read, the less conversational we, we become. Right, so those that little those couple of words that key you to what you want to talk about. Yeah. You should be able to just talk from your agenda, provide an agenda in the beginning of your presentation, and speak extemporaneously just from the agenda. And that will suggest the wording that you want to use so you sound conversational. So, so those are, I, I think, some of the kind of the, the key things that I think are there. And the one thing that I always tell people is videotape yourself. I'm not sure in the last time any of the people that regularly train have actually videotape themselves and watch the videotape of themselves giving a presentation. I still continue to do that. Sit down and watch, and what can you do to enhance things, or how can I have said things a little bit differently? Because we plan the slides, and we don't ever take the time to physically stand up and rehearse not only what we're going to say, but how we're going to say it. Because the first time, and when I work with clients, the first time they physically stand up and deliver the presentation, what comes out of their mouth is not really how they wanted to say it. And they always will say, no, I would have said things a little differently. So you have to go through some of that verbal edification by letting what comes out of your mouth verbally and say it differently. 
and you find out you change the content of the slides, you change things. That's why you know when you have dry runs and rehearsals that you find out that, geez, that isn't quite right. So I'm a big fan of having dry runs, rehearsals, pilot programs, whatever you want to call them, because that's what gets fluffed out in those things, is the content of the slides, besides the obvious things like spelling errors, but how you say it, you don't have a really give it much thought until you actually stand up to start delivering it. We spend so much time getting ready, we haven't rehearsed. So that's the key thing. And then then take the time to physically make the change on the slides and then try it again. I know that I have always told my supervision, you know, we all work for somebody, that it's never real until about the third time I do it. The first time, the second time are just, boy, you know, that's that's hunting and seeking to find the communication. The third time or after, it begins to kind of settle in on the track that it will probably be for the next, you know, 50 presentations if it's something that's going to go that long. And some people don't want to spend the time or invest the time to do that because they might say, well, I'm only going to give this presentation once. Well, it may truly be the last time you give that presentation because you didn't do enough time preparing to dig in, but why not give them the best presentation you can? It's it's awkward. You know, I know you have always told me, we've worked together, you've always told everybody that we've that we've worked with to to rehearse, practice. I I mean, I've heard you tell students that practice, do it, do it alone, do it in front of a mirror, whatever. And it is so tough. If you're me, that speaking to an empty room is so tough, and yet I've heard you talk about how important that is if you want it even on that first presentation, if you really want it to be good, go do it to the mirror. Well, anybody has played in a band, I and I've been a musician for a number of years. I still currently play in a band that plays music, older style of music, from the 1910s to 1940s. And we do 40 or 50 gigs a year. We still get together and rehearse. Well, that's um, that's a good list. I'll tell you when you the first thing that you said to me that that made the phone call worth the while was when you said. Think about if I wrote a note down. I, I got a piece of paper next to me. It said, "What's uh, what are the characteristics of a great speaker? That a very very powerful tool, notwithstanding all these very specifics that you just outlined. Um, I, I almost want to kind of close out for the listeners to say, think back to what Lenny said in the beginning. If you think about the characteristics of a great speaker." Uh, when you're making presentations or before, you know, when you're driving to work in the morning when you're going to do one, to the degree that you can emulate that, um, at, le- at least if your idea of a great speaker is somewhat like your students, which is probably true, there might be some universality. What a powerful thing. You go to the website at www.ljlseminars.com and click on the link that says Educational Materials, and you'll see an article that's titled Quick Tips You Can Use in Everyday Situations. A lot of these are applicable to regards of who you are in terms of your presenting. And here's some suggestions you can use. And the one thing that's simple, and why I mention this situation, is we need to eliminate the uhs and the ums. One of the simple things that you can do, but it doesn't seem as simple, is eliminating those uhs and the ums and that won't happen unless you can do that in conversational situations. And these four situations I talk about in the article will give you some good starting points to do that. So I think that will also go step further make it sound cleaner. Well, Lenny, I want to wrap it up. I've had, I've had you on for quite a while. I know that I've uh, been recording for quite a while, and I try and keep the podcast at around a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Any final words? You always, man, you want to thank the guest. Thank you again so much for coming on. And... Uh, and offer you the opportunity. Is there any summation at 
you know, anything, anything you want to tell the folks that are listening? Well, you know, just speaking is a learned skill. It's something that everybody can learn to develop and improve. Don't be afraid to try things differently. I always like to try 5 or 10% new things so I can continue to expand, you know, read, study, learn from people that are doing it for a living. I think it would be helpful. And don't be afraid to get a coach if you need to. Well, Lenny, thanks a lot. Um, the best of luck. I hope that the next time we talk, you're in your 10th printing of, and we'll, we'll make the pitch again because I am a shameless shill. This is the Princeton Language Institute and Lenny Laskowski. 10 days to more confident public speaking. Say goodbye to Stage Fright Forever. And it's from Warner Books. And uh, obviously from what Lenny said, it's, uh, it's on Amazon if you're an Amazon fan. Get it on at www.ljlseminars.com. Uh, it's worth a visit because there's even there's free stuff on it. You don't have to spend a nickel. And thanks again. You're quite welcome, Gary. Good luck. So there we go. Words of wisdom from a guy that has made a, a heck of a good living out of improving his own vocal presentation skills and, and those of others. Well, I see that I'm at 37 minutes, which is pretty long, so I'm going to close out pretty quickly here. I uh, will say that, that my next goal, anyway, is that I did receive a positive response from Dr. Harold Stolovich, who is the guy that wrote Telling Aid Training and Training Aid Performance, as well as much earlier, a very important handbook or editor of an important handbook of human performance technology. Uh, I'm going to try to call him a giant in the field, but boy, sure, a pretty big gun. And supposedly Harold and I are going to get together and get together in May for an interview. And if all goes well, he will be my next Trainer's Trough uh, training professional podcast. As soon as I can get an interview with Harold and get it into the can, I will. Meanwhile, thanks for listening, and I'll uh, see you the next time. Please feel free to come to the Trainer's Trough and offer any feedback that you want. Big Pig at trainerstrough.com. Bye now. Thanks for listening. 